Amen. There you go. Good. God bless you guys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we were um, talking in staff about how on Sunday mornings, one of the, you know, there are some, a lot of great advantages to being where we're at in this building. And there are a few disadvantages as well. And one of the disadvantages is that um, our, our breakdown team has to start putting things away immediately. And so it maybe feels like, it feels like there aren't as many opportunities to connect. And so we started talking about ways within the service to make better connecting uh, points. And so um, if you're an introvert, it's a great time to go wash your hands or see if there's any donuts left and go mow the lawn, do something else. You don't have to do any of that, but um, you guys understood the assignment and you are having great connections and I love that. Um, we are going to begin a brand new message series today called Starting Point and this is where usually at the beginning of the year we kind of go through the motions of pretending like uh, I'm going to do a series that's going to really motivate you to reach all your goals this year and you're going to agree with me and then you're going to put things in motion and it's going to go like it does all the other years and for the most part we're all going to be relatively unsuccessful at doing the things we set out to do. <laughs> and then you're going to be disappointed that I'm telling the truth about how hard it is to do this. The, the, you, you've extended the 90 seconds too long. Now, uh, now you're on my time. <laughs> um, I want to encourage you and inspire you in this series in a whole new way of looking at starting new goals in your life. So I'm gonna take you back thousands and thousands of years to a part of Israel's history when they had just been released from captivity from Babylon. And they were getting resettled in Jerusalem. They had taken about 14 months to get settled and everything they had had been lost. Everything had been surrendered. Everything had been, they had been, um, uh, they were the spoils of war. Uh, Babylon conquered them, took them into captivity and owned them for decades and decades and decades. They had now found freedom. A king had released them. And they were now resettling in Jerusalem. And one of the first things they wanted to do after getting settled was rebuild their temple, the, the central place of their faith, the central place of their identity, the central place of their worship. And so they had uh, assigned somebody named Zerubbabel to be one of the master architects, the master leaders, the master coordinators, uh, the, the engineer who would help facilitate the rebuilding of the temple. And so Zerubbabel got started doing that, but almost as soon as he got started doing it, there was opposition from uh, uh, surrounding enemies who were fearful that, that uh, Israel was going to rebuild their strength. And so um, at the order of uh, King Artaxerxes, he commanded that the building of the temple stop. So at this point, all that was done was a foundation for the temple had been laid. But really the resistance didn't come from the opposing armies and the, 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 the adversarial nations, but it came from within the Jewish people who saw this small footprint 
the foundation of the temple that was much smaller than Solomon's original temple. Now, if you remember the story of Solomon, that was King David's son. He was incredibly wealthy, still probably historically the wealthiest person to have ever lived, um, close to a trillionaire. And he personally funded the building of his temple, the temple dedicated to God, and it was an elaborate, beautiful, it had the most expensive of everything you could possibly want. It was to honor God. And when they saw this humble, small footprint of a foundation, it says this, and this is not in your notes or on the screen. This is in Ezra. It says, many of the older priests and the Levites, the Levites were a tribe of Israel who were dedicated to the sole purpose of worship. So the priests and the Levites who were most closely connected with the temple says this, and family heads, So everyone that represented all the people within Israel who had seen the former temple, who had experienced the the glories of Solomon's temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. They cried because they were so upset about how small and non-glorious this little foundation looked. But the prophet who spoke on behalf of God, Zechariah, said this in Zechariah 4.10. Look at what it says. It says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Let me read it again. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices just to see the work get started. Just to see the plumb line, the level, the carpenter's level in Zerubbabel's hand. They couldn't get past the fact that they just see this little humble beginning and, 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 and unfortunately, that's where their vision, that's where their dreaming stopped is just there. They, they saw it completed in their head and they were upset. And God came to them and said, I want you to get excited just about getting started. And so this series is not about helping you achieve your goals. It's not about helping you reach the end of the year and have done everything you dreamed that you could do. It's not about setting New Year's resolutions and seeing those New Year's resolutions fulfilled. It's about celebrating the win of getting started, being the person that God created you to be and doing the things that God has written in your life to do. I want to tell you that after King Artaxerxes stopped it, it was 17 years before they could begin rebuilding again. And at the order, the permission of another king, they began to build. And three and a half later, the temple was complete. All that to say this, that there are going to be things that interfere. There are going to be things that stop the progress of the goals and the dreams and the resolutions that you make. There are going to be people and circumstances that interfere But I have to tell you that God understood that it would be complete one day. 
God knew that even after the delay, the work would begin again. And so maybe this is about bringing back to life dreams that you thought were dead. Maybe this is about bringing back to your life goals that you once gave up on because you just couldn't get them started. I want you to hear this. God rejoices just to see the tools of beginning, the carpenter's level in your hand. God says, don't despise the small beginnings. So we're going to get better at getting started. We're going to stop with the attitude and the discouragement and the the pessimistic perspective that says every time I start something, it fails to become. Or if I start this thing, I just don't have what it takes. I'm, I'm, I'm so out of shape. I'm so overweight that whatever I do, it never takes effect. We're going to stop all of that and we're going to refocus ourselves on just getting foundations built. Just getting to the starting line. I don't know if you saw the message graphic right here, but the starting line and the finish line are right together. What if every race looked like that? We'd all sign up for that, right? We'd all have some level of success. We could at least finish, even if we didn't come in first. I mean, this guy looks athletic. He looks like he knows what he's doing. I don't know if I could beat him to the finish line, but I could beat some of you, right? but we would all finish. And that's what we're gonna do. Getting better at getting started means number one, that I have to stop. I have to stop getting overwhelmed by how much it takes to reach my goals. Getting overwhelmed by how much it takes to reach my goals. So I'm gonna ask a question. Um, it's semi-rhetorical, but I want you to think about the answer. What is the biggest enemy to getting started with anything? What's the biggest enemy to getting started with anything? All of those. All of those things are enemies. But can I tell you the biggest one? Not getting started. The biggest enemy to actually getting started is just not getting started. It doesn't really matter, honestly, what the cause of not getting started is. All those things you talked about were reasons you don't get started, but the biggest enemy is ultimately that you never start. We never start. And it's often because we get overwhelmed. We know we should do, but we know it in our heart of hearts. We know it in our minds. We tell ourselves, we beat ourselves up with the guilt that we should have better habits, that we should have better thoughts, that we should have better behaviors, that we should be better in our disciplines, better attitudes, uh, better finances, better relationships. We should be better at exercise. We should be better at our devotions and better with prayer. And we should be better with the words that we let out of our mouths. And we should be better at just living our lives. We all know we should be. We all know there are areas that we should be doing better, but we don't. We know we should start it, but we don't start it. We think one day I will get started. One day I, 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 I should get started and we don't. And we call that procrastination. It's the knowing you should do something, but not getting around to doing it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help you and I'm going to relieve some of the guilt and the condemnation. Procrastination is not because you're lazy. And it's not even because you are bad at managing your time. Now, you may be lazy 
and bad at managing your time. Those may be true statements about you, but that's not the source of procrastination. Can I tell you what it is? Procrastination is the inability to handle the negative emotions that we feel about starting something that seems too big to start or too tough to start or too long to complete. Procrastination is a temporary satisfac- satisfaction. I, I can, if I just say, I'll start tomorrow, I've given myself permission to feel better right now. But we also know that procrastination only compounds guilt and stress because tomorrow we get up and we know we're one day further from having done what we should have started yesterday or the day before that or the day before that. And so procrastination actually works against us. It gives us temporary satisfaction that we can punt the ball down the field a little bit further, but it just compounds the negative feelings that we feel. Can I give you the best statement that you can speak to yourself when you're feeling a sense of procrastination? And it's this, I'd rather risk being a failure at doing something than be guaranteed a success at doing nothing. I'd rather risk being a failure at trying something than know with absolute certainty that I'm gonna succeed at doing nothing at all. I've done a lot of funerals, more than I cared to remember or count. Some were people I loved and cared about deeply. Some were people I barely knew. I never in any of those heard anyone stand up and praise them for playing it safe in their life. I'll tell you what, one thing I can tell you about Grandpa was he never did anything. And man, was he good at that. I mean, he talked about it. He told us how he was going to one day. And I admire the man who's laying there right now for never actually trying any of it. Nobody celebrates our lives for doing nothing. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 9.10 says. Every time you find work to do, anything that comes up that requires you to do something, do it the best that you can. In the grave, there is no work, there's no thinking, there's no knowledge, there's no wisdom, and we are all going to that place of death. Here's what that means is there are going to be challenges and experiences and circumstances that are going to require you to act on that and do something in response to it. You're going to put on weight. Your finances are going to go the wrong way. Your marriage isn't doing as well as it should. Whatever it is that presents itself in your life, you're going to have to decide to do nothing about it or do something about it. And the Bible says, in Solomon's wisdom, he says, whatever work comes your way, do it the very best that you can. Because after death, you don't get to go back and fix anything. You don't get to make new strategies and get a second try at it. That's it. Can I tell you that your best is good enough? You've never done the thing before. How many of you have more than one child? A lot of you. So we, Lisa and I, thought we were good parents till we had our second child. Because you can't raise your second one the way you raised your first one. Oh, we were so good at being parents on our first one. Really, now, in retrospect, we know he's the one we screwed up the worst, actually, because we knew nothing about parenting then. 
But after having experienced raising him for five years, we said, now we, we know, we know how to raise a kid. And then Coley came along and Cole was completely, it was our first time raising him. And so what we learned was we're just going to have to do our very best with each one of them. And can I tell you this, that there are circumstances and there are influences. My kids will grow up to be independently who they choose and elect to be in their own life. But I have to do my very best with the time and the opportunity I have with them. Listen, there are going to be circumstances that influence your life. There are going to be outside elements that influence your life. You are responsible for what you can do. And you have to do your absolute best. Proverbs 14.23 says it like this. If you work hard, then you'll have plenty. But if you do nothing but talk, you'll not have enough. You're going to be poor. If all you do is talk about how you're going to fix it and talk about what it would look like for this to be better, and all you do is strategize and all you do is think and plan, nothing is going to happen. I'm going to tell you this. If you work, if you'll do your very best, you'll always have better results than doing nothing at all. And so don't let the task overwhelm you. Just get started doing your very best. Number two is this. Getting better at getting started means I have to stop holding on to old things that keep me from starting new things. Holding on to the old things that keep me from getting started on the new things. So if I were to take a quick poll of everybody in the room and I were to ask you, um, uh, any person that ever tried to change to be better, to be, um, to improve yourself, uh, to, to get a goal accomplished in your life, you made a new year's resolution, but you failed at doing it. Um, you failed at reaching your goal. I think one of the most common reasons that I would be given for why that was, was that you tried, you did try, but you failed at it. No, I, I tried to eat better but I, I couldn't stick to it or my work schedule. I can't, I can't bring lunch because I, so I have to eat out. And when I eat out, I eat poorly and, and I, I'm on the road all the time. And, and I, I tried, but my spouse won't, my spouse won't be nice back to me when I'm nice to them. I, I did try to pray, but there just isn't time. And I get so bored and I fall asleep. And the only time I have, and, and I was trying to read, but the Bible I have is so hard to understand. We tried, but we failed. That's one of the biggest reasons why we give up on doing more is because we tried it once, we failed at it, and none of us like failing again. But can I tell you the real reason why we try and we fail is because we try to add new things to our life without giving up the old things that are holding us back. It's not that the new thing isn't good, it just can't share the same space as the old thing anchoring you to your old self. Listen, I, there was a time when I was bigger than I am now. I'm not at the weight I want to be, but if you've been around here long enough, um, and you can probably go back into our message archives if you're new and see who I call Fat Chris, right? There was a, um, there's a lot of people who miss Fat Chris. Fat Chris would go eat anywhere with you, and he would be the guy ordering the appetizer plus the meal plus the dessert and then eating off your plate as well. Fat Chris was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I miss Fat Chris because Fat Chris could eat anything he wants, <clears throat> right? Um, there, there's something 
when you're overweight that makes you believe if you buy the right clothes, no one will know you're fat, <laughs> right? You buy black shirts, you leave your shirts untucked, right? You, you wear certain things, you, you wear bright colors, it distracts the eye, right? It's like, if I just put on new clothes, no one will notice the old fat Chris, right? That's sort of what we do is we take on new things that are supposed to distract us from the old things and it does not work like that. Paul actually addressed this very thing with believers, Christians who were new to the faith, who had begun following Christ in the city of Ephesus, one of the church that he founded and planted, and he was struggling to explain to them how there were two natures in them that were battling with each other. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You were taught, this is what the gospel is. You were taught to leave your old self, to stop living the evil way you lived before. That was who you were before you found Christ. That old self becomes worse because people are fooled by the evil things they want to do. We let the bad habits convince us that they're good habits, but you were taught to be made new in your hearts and become a new person. This is the gospel. This is what we do. We, we, we abandon what leads us to death, physical death, emotional death, relational death, financial death. We leave that behind. And then it says that the new person is to be made like God, made to be truly good and holy. Our ultimate goal is to abandon what we create in our own lives and pursue what God created us to be. The problem is that we love to hang on to the things that we created. I, I'm, I don't think I'm a pack rat. I think I see value in all the wrong things. So I went over to Hobby Lobby. Lisa want, wanted a flocked tree um, for the front room. And I said, well, maybe if there's somebody selling one on clearance, I don't, I don't want to buy a It'd be a fourth tree for the house. I don't want to buy a fourth tree. But if there's one on clearance, so I go to Hobby Lobby, the one on Douglas, and thank God they didn't have one. <laughs> well, they actually had a floor model, and I said, I'm not buying that one. It's all beat up. So then I went over to the one on Blue Oaks, the new one. And all they had left was this really narrow tree, which was great because that's what we wanted. And it was on clearance. But I said, oh, it's not flocked. And she said, can we flock it ourselves? And I'm not great at lying, so I said, yeah, we, we could do that. Okay, sounds good. And so I bought that tree, and then I said, well, we don't have any ornaments for this one. So then I went through the aisles, and I just got a bunch of ornaments, right? So that was a bunch of new stuff. In a garage that is housing a bunch of old stuff, I had to then go reorganize and pull out a bunch of totes, and I've got tons and tons of the yellow totes, or black totes, yellow lid, right? It's, it really looks good. Really what it's housing is clutter. It's organized clutter. So I start opening these up and I'm like, well, I don't want to throw that away. And I might need that. And uh, if you've ever owned an Apple product, you know that if you've ever bought an Apple product, you don't throw the box away. You'll never use it again, ever, for any reason at all. But I don't know. You just feel better about keeping the box. So I had to decide that what was new was more important than the thing that was old because there wasn't room to do all of it. 
And we had to make a pile of stuff that had to go. In Christianity, you've spent your life without Christ building who you are. And then when you invite Christ in, there are habits and behaviors and goals and dreams that you have to give up if you're going to become who Christ has created you to be. There's a great um, quote by a, Chinese prov- uh, by, by a Chinese philosopher named Lao Tzu. And the quote is this, what the caterpillar, caterpillar calls the end, the rest of the world calls a butterfly. We, from our perspective, think that this thing, giving up this is the end of happiness, it's the end of relationship, it's the end of our goals, it's the end of our dreams. But from another perspective, they see, and in this case, God sees, that we're really just awaiting to become the very best version of ourselves. As a caterpillar, you might think you're coming to an end of yourself, and God says, yes, you are, and you are going to emerge a much different and better person. Number three, and finally, is this. Getting better at getting started means that I stop underestimating the power of just getting started. The power of just getting started. So now I need, without telling you what I'm going to do, without telling you any details, I need three adult volunteers quickly to come run up here. Three adult volunteers quickly to run up here. There's one. We're going to go two. We're going to go three. Okay. Um, Andrew, I'm turning on a mic. Check. Okay. Uh, introduce yourself and then tell me the reason you came up here. Amanda Martin, because why not? Because you're what? Because why not? Why not? Okay, got it. Emily Sutcliffe, because why not? Okay. <laughs> Lori Gonzalez, I was close by. You were close by. Okay, so none of them knew why they were going to come up. There's 20 for you. There's 20 for you. There's 20 for you. Give them a big hand. And that's it. You guys can go sit down. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make? Here's the point. They had no idea what they were coming up to. I could have handed them an expired coupon to Jack in the Box just as easily, but I didn't. There was a reward in taking the risk. There was no guarantee of what would happen when they came up, but here's what is guaranteed. Every one of you that stayed in your seat got nothing, (laughs) right? Everyone who chose not to take a risk, to not face possible embarrassment or, 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 or an awkward moment, for whatever reason, good as it might be for staying seated, you guaranteed that you got nothing. Except the satisfaction of, I don't know, whatever it is that we convinced ourselves was better about not taking the risk. Ecclesiastes says it perfectly. Listen to what it says. There are some things you can be sure of, If clouds are full of rain, they'll pour water on the earth. Boy, have we been seeing that. And if a tree falls to the south, to the north, whatever direction it falls in, it's going to stay in the direction it fell. It's not moving, right? There's, uh, uh, but there are some things that you can't be sure of. You must take a chance. If you wait for the perfect weather, You'll never plant your seeds. If you're afraid that every cloud will bring rain, you'll never harvest your 
crops. Solomon said, listen, there are some things that are pretty certain you can bank on them, but there's an awful lot in life that's unpredictable and it's uncertain. And, and you're just going to have to take risk. You're just going to have to do it. Go out and do it. Listen, I get it. I'm not a big risk taker. I, 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 I like the certainty of success. I wouldn't say that I demand guaranteed success before I start something, but I would say this, that I want the odds to favor success by a large margin. I understand because I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to try and fail. I want to be able to predict failure before it happens and eliminate the possibility of failure. And I have, I have guaranteed that I don't fail many, many, many times. I guaranteed that I did not fail. I also guaranteed that I did not succeed because I never tried. With certainty, I avoided failing at a goal, failing at a, 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 a habit, a, um, an, an improving behavior. I made sure I didn't fail, but I also guaranteed that I didn't succeed because I never tried. I waited for the perfect circumstances. I waited for better timing. I waited for the right people to be in my life or waited for more money or a better economy or maybe just more self-confidence, believing that I could do it or Maybe I needed to be in better shape before I tried it, or I needed to be older, more secure in a career, a position, and the list goes on and on and on of all the things that I needed to be right. None of us would say we waited for perfect circumstances, but that's really what we were waiting for. For all the circumstances and all the people and all the timing to line up in such a way that we knew with certainty that there was going to be success and not failure. And because of that, opportunities that were before us that God would have favored and put his hand of blessing on, not because we were irresponsible and not because we were impulsive, but because we understood that nothing ventured is nothing gained, that you have to take a risk. You can't wait for the right moment because there isn't a right moment other than the moment that's right in front of you. Have you missed opportunities? Of course you've missed opportunities. Have windows that were once open to you now closed? That's true as well. Are you able to get back the years and the moments, the minutes and the decisions that you've passed by you cannot get any of that back. But there's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And the second best time is now. You missed it 20 years ago, but you can beat yourself up over it. You can regret it. You can get angry about it. Or you can begin planting now. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 11.6 says. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle with your hands in the evening. There's another translation that says, and also sow in the evening. 
For you do not know whether morning or evening planting will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In other words, just start, just go plant. Because the future you, the better marriage, the better health, the better devotions, the better prayer life, the healthier, more mature, the the more patient, the more loving, the more Christ-like, the more generous in giving, the more trusting and faithful, the more enduring and the more forgiving and the more grace-filled, the more disciplined and the more quiet at heart and peaceful of mind version of you depends on what you plant today. Those are all fruits of having planted earlier in your life. They're not results from getting up one day and going, today I'm gonna be a better person. Today you're gonna get started on being a better person because today you're the same person you were yesterday. You've done nothing yet to change any of that. That's why we get so discouraged We're a month into the new year and we go, I'm the same exact person, but I decided to be something different. But we didn't start planting any differently than we have. We kept investing our time in the same place. We kept spending our money in the same place. We kept going back to the same friendships. We stayed in the same habits of coming to church once a month. We just did all the same things and we expected different results because, well, we wanted it. No wonder we get so discouraged. No wonder we don't even start the year with New Year's resolutions anymore because we're just tired of failing. But can I tell you this? You can't fail at spreading seeds. Anybody can. And according to the wisdom of God's word, they're going to produce. You just don't know which one. You don't know if it's this one or that one. And you don't know if maybe both of them will. So you just get really good at investing. Have you ever heard of the rule of 100? Anybody? The rule of 100? And it's this, if you'll spend 100 minutes in a month doing anything, any discipline, reading your Bible more, uh, going to the gym more, uh, um, MMA fighting, (laughs) whatever it is, it's about 18 minutes a day, I think is what it comes out to. That if you'll spend, or maybe somebody could do the math. I think it's somewhere around there. That if you'll spend a hundred minutes a month doing something, that you will be better than 90% of everyone else in that discipline. Not you're going to, it doesn't mean you're going to go be a professional MMA fighter. It doesn't mean you're going to necessarily become a, a, a pastor or whatever it is, whatever. You're not going to be a health coach just because, but you will be better than 90% of people in that same discipline. The rule of 100, just by planting 18 minutes a day into a thing. Every single person can do that. And can I tell you this? The only thing you risk is being better than what you were 30 days ago. Um, Tim Hauk, who does our graphics, I've been working for me for 17 years here at the church. He um, started off just a young kid and 
He got his BA while he worked for us. Then he went on and got his master's degree while he worked for us. And then he went on and got his doctorate of philosophy while he worked for us. And he's gone and he's worked for um, a fellowship in which he was on an ethics committee at a hospital to make ethical decisions about uh, uh, life and death situations. And now he's a professor in Visalia, professor of, uh, of philosophy there. And he does something. He goes, um, every year he does 30 days to a better Tim. 30 days to a better Tim. And he just does something for 30 days, adds a discipline to his life and just invests 30 days into being a better version of himself. Every one of us can plant those kind of seeds. But you have to get excited about just getting up off the bench, no longer spectating, but saying, I want to, if that's the race, if the goal is to get to here, I'll, I'll get in that race every time. If the goal is 22 miles down the road, most of us don't feel ready for that. We, so we just sit. But can I tell you this? You'll never get 22 miles or 22 feet if you don't get to the starting line first. And the person who can run 22 miles and not be winded at the end didn't start with that ability. They started running a couple feet and then added a couple more feet and then added more feet until they exhausted themselves and they said, okay, I ran a hundred yards and I am winded and exhausted and I feel like I got to throw up. And the next day, 101 yards. And the next day after that, 102 if they could do it. And they kept pushing more and more. All I'm asking you to do is step up to the starting line. Put your hands in your pockets and pull out the seeds of the better you and just say, what can I lose by throwing seed into the ground? Absolutely nothing, but the opportunity to become who God created you to be. Would you close your eyes for a second and give yourselves the opportunity to just respond? You are a completely different being there is a future version of you that looks and thinks and talks and acts and interacts and relates and spends and thinks and connects differently, better than who sits here today. Circumstances aren't holding you back. Outside influence isn't holding you back. Your spouse, your kids, a lack of spouse, your health, none of that's holding you back. But there are opportunities, one after the other, that are just passing by, waiting for you to act, waiting for you to plant the seed in this opportunity that will produce that version of you. That's the way God set it up. That's what God blesses. That's what God favors. That's what God waters. That's what God feeds. And if you'll say today, all I'm committing to doing is getting up out of the seat and putting my feet on the starting line. I'm just committing to getting to the starting line today. If that's you, throw your hand up, no reservation, no hesitation. I'm going to the starting line today. 
Father, bless and favor and increase and equip every single person that raised their hand that said, I'm starting today. I'm just going to get to the starting line. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how far I can make it. I don't know what success or failure awaits me, but I'm not going to sit by and let another year, much less a month, much less a day pass me by again. I'm going to start doing something different. And I may have to run away from, walk away from, crawl away from the other version of me, the old me, the me who wants to hang on to these habits, hang on to these thoughts, hang on to this this anger, hang on to the hurt, hang on to the excuses, hang on to all the things that make me feel safe and secure to stay right where I'm at at this place. I might need to try things that I've never tried before, but it's gonna mean leaving behind things that I've tried over and over and over. And even if they don't succeed, they're familiar. So give me the courage, give me the strength, give me the faith to step out and not see what's next. To risk failure, but equally risk success. I want to do something risky today that I would never do before just to test whether I'm capable of doing it. Risk embarrassment, risk failure, risk exposure, risk whatever it is that I'm afraid of that's kept me on the sidelines. I want to begin stepping out in faith in simple, practical ways today just to show that I'm serious, God, about starting new. In Jesus' name, I pray that over every one of us. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.